Today is Wednesday, September 23rd. My name is Sherry Roberts, and I'm your host on Challenging the Rhetoric. I'm going to be talking about some really hard things tonight, but they're really important, and I appreciate you listening. So here's what's going to happen tonight. Uh, we've got we've got a mission, um, and and we've had this mission for you know since the beginning of time, but we keep dropping the ball on this mission. So tonight, and for me, this is a very important show. And what we're doing here every week is I'm I'm looking for some real conversation, and it's coming from a place of real genuine concern, as I tell you every week. I'm not looking to debate. I'm not looking to distract. I want to be a part, and I want all of you to be a part, and the people I bring on my show to be a part of Real Solutions. Coming up, I'm going to be talking to two women that are both in their 40s, who as children, they were both victims of active pedophiles. These women, they don't know one another. Um, Both, they have their own unique story, and they're going to share parts of their story with you and with me. One of these women and their story, as you're going to see, has a very, very unique tie to my own story on this issue. My guest on the grill tonight is former attorney, author, and leading computer forensic expert, Frederick Lane, Frederick's the uh, doing the ugly but very necessary task of dealing with the big problem of child pornography that's out there. Uh, and I'd like to say thank you to another former Challenging the Rhetoric guest on the grill, D.C. Attorney Mark Sade, because he's the one that connected me to, to Frederick, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Frederick has brought a lot to this show in just the conversations that we've had and in the stories that I've written. Um, so thank you, Mark, for that. Um, we're going to learn more about Frederick uh, in just a little bit, uh, but I don't only want to thank – Frederick and and the two ladies that are coming on and Mark, I want to thank all of you uh, for hanging in there with me tonight because I hope that this is going to be a very thought-provoking show for everybody. Um, But that being said, Challenging the Rhetoric has a PG-13 rating. That's that's how I run the show. And we're going to do our best tonight to convey all this necessary information that, that we're going to impart in our own individual ways while respecting that PG-13 rating. We want, or at least I want, and I know that the ladies, and and I'm sure that even the the guest Frederick believes that this is an important message and 13 and older is of an appropriate age to hear the things that we have to say tonight. However, even though as a mother I would be okay with my kids hearing everything tonight, I'm not the mother of your children, um, and so that's a judgment call you need to make. Uh, again, we're going to be very respectful here, but it's a very important and very serious topic that we all need to be talking about. Later in the show, I'm going to tell you who's the liar of the week. And as I promised last week, again, at the closing of the show, I'm going to leave you with a tip for, for all, all the activists out there. Uh, it doesn't matter what your cause is. i got a tip that kind of applies to all of you. So before we jump into all the really deep and heavy stuff, let me take care of a little uh, housekeeping to give you all the info that helps you uh, help help me and, and, and us in what we're doing. Um, during the live show, which we're live right now, uh, if you're listening to the archive, of course you don't know that. <laughs> Anyways, I'm going to be posting to the Facebook page. It's facebook.com forward slash challengingtherhetoric.news. 
that's the fan page for the show. Um, I'll be posting the stories and the things that we're talking about and information on uh, our grill guest, uh, Frederick, there. I'm also tweeting from at CTR Newsfeed, so hit me up there, uh, follow me on there, and uh, say hi, and I'm going to be trying to watch that as much as possible if you have any questions. We're not going to have the phone lines open again this week simply because I have it packed. I have three other people coming on the show, um, so we have a lot to cover in a very short period of time in this little hour we have here together. But when the phone lines are open in future shows, that number is 646-787-1790. If you're listening to an archive, obviously you're not going to be able to get through on the phone lines, even if they are open during the live show. You also won't be able to participate in the live chat room that is going on with the show. Um, And I do try to pay attention to that. So if you have a question or a comment, and you want to be respectful to not only the topic, but to my guests and to myself and to each other in there, uh, please you know, post your questions and comments in there, and I will try to address them if I can. Again, it's a very fast-paced show, but I'm interested. And if I can't address them right now while we're doing the show, I will address them after the show and in the coming days. Um, that being said, I want to kind of just jump right into the first story that I'm going to start with tonight. And I put out an article. It's called Keep Your Hands Off My Kids. And it's an article. The, t- the title itself is is provocative. And as parents, grandparents, or lovers of children uh, in, a, in a healthy way, uh, we're going to talk about healthy and unhealthy love of children in, in this, the course of the next hour. Um, one of the problems in, in the statement, Keep Your Hands Off My Kids, is that back in the late 80s and early 90s when suddenly people wanted to try to make some effort to bring this out of the closet, out of the shadows, so to speak, and do things. We created all these hotlines and, and all of that and told kids it's okay to tell if somebody's doing something to them. And unfortunately, even though the verbiage has been out there and the knowledge is out there, it's never talked about enough to understand the differences between the types of childhood sexual abusers. Um, There are different types, and their entire uh, approach with the children is vastly different, which makes a huge difference in when or why or even if a child will ever tell. There are many adults that are older than me. I'm 47 years old. There are many adults that are older than me. My mom was one of them up until before she died, who never spoke about the problems that had happened with her and her, her childhood, not not just the problems we're going to be talking about tonight for people as a whole across not just the country but the globe, but there there's a, the generational thing before, you know, that late 80s and 90s toll-free numbers I was talking about that they just never did talk. There was this pride factor. And I'd like to challenge whether you're a a Bible believer or or anything like that, that, you know, pride is still one of those seven deadly sins. And pride stops us often from doing the right thing. And that pride can come from many packages. But the, the package that people don't understand when it comes to childhood sexual offenders, and truly unless you have been a victim of one or the other or the other sorts beyond the two we'll discuss tonight. It's very hard. It's almost like a a, a male 
obstetrician telling a woman he knows exactly how it feels to have a baby. He might know all the technical stuff. He might know, you know, exactly what the average pain threshold is and and all of those things and all the good and gory details. But he's a man. He's, at least until technology allows him to do so, he can't have a pregnancy and birth a child. So he will never know from that perspective, which is very real. And tonight we're going to hear about that. And what's going to be hard for many of you listening is that a pedophile, which is what we pretty much group anybody under, and it's usually a man, pedophile, usually child sex offenders are usually male, not all, but usually. Um, a, A pedophile is different in a lot of different ways than a quote-unquote child molester. But yet we call them all the same and we think that all pedophiles molest children. And that's not true. When we set up all these hotlines for children and told them it's okay to tell a few decades ago, we weren't telling. We were still hiding things. We weren't having open conversations. So even today, most people don't know these differences. And again, it's going to be hard to hear some of the things that you're going to hear tonight. You're not going to want to hear them, and unless you have been a victim of these things and these types of people, it's going to be incredibly hard to understand and not just hear. But I'm asking you to really try, and I want you to have an open mind, and we're going to address some really good, bad, and ugly things, and we're going to create some results here. I have these really great ladies that are going to come on tonight. The first one is a woman named Sue. She's the same age as me. She's 47. She lives in Ohio. And I only recently uh, found out about some of her experiences as a a child. And she uh, shared them with me because I've been talking about it quite a bit lately. And uh, I appreciate that. And I invited her onto the show. So Sue in Ohio is here with me right now. And uh, Sue, would you like to say hello to the listeners? Hi, everybody. Hi, Sherry. Hi, Sue. Thank you so much for coming in. Oh, thank you for doing this. It's a a real courage thing, especially with with what we're trying to present tonight. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, It's hard to talk about. So we we only have a short period of time with each little segment of this one hour we have as a show. Um, Can you really quickly kind of tell the listeners just a little bit about, like, you now? You know, I already told them you're in Ohio, you're 47, same age as me, but kind of what's your life now? You work in uh, customer service, I believe. Um, And so you work with people. You're not a hermit. You're not, like, hiding because of the abuses we're going to talk about. You're not damaged and dysfunctional. I mean, we're all damaged, the people that have experienced these things, but we're not dysfunctional, um, and that's something that's very important as we get into this a little later. But, Sue, tell the listeners a little bit about who you are right now. Yeah, I do work, and I do work with people, and I enjoy it a lot, um, and I'm good at my job, and, you know, it, it, you know, it, it's always something that either I've been drawn to or, you know, you know people look for me. So, no, it's not, this isn't, you know, somebody hiding out, although, you know, those effects always come up, you know, you 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 can be antisocial, you, there are things that will, that you have to deal with on a daily basis, anxiety, and, 
and depression and things like that that have its ups and downs. But it's not are, something are you, that you can't live with. Are you a parent? I am not a parent. Okay, so the uh, the, are, the woman that's going to come on after you is a parent, so this is great because I actually never asked you that. So I'm going to be able to hear this and listeners from two vastly different experiences from the mindset now after the fact. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not a parent, but I do have, you know, children in my life. I have brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews and so on and so forth, so... This is a this is a big issue, and it's something that we, we do need to address, and we do need to take a step back and know that what we're doing right now is not working. The problem is getting worse. So the rhetoric that keeps going out, and and things that keep coming up, and the conversations that keep coming up, they're not working. And yeah, that's why exactly. I wanted to come on the show, you know, and that's why I wanted it from my perspective um, to not, you know, go into this holy roller, you know, spin off and evil and uh, things like that, and but really discuss it and and what happens in your life and what you see after it happens and how it affects your life and what we can do to keep this from happening. You exactly. Have to be about it. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, we well the first thing is is we have to be honest about it in order to actually do something of import and 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 effect uh to 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 create the change that needs to happen. So, um for you and and obviously it's a PG-13 show and and I don't want to freak listeners out with with a bunch of the gory details but can you kind of go over a little bit of kind of what your experience was as a child and the particular person or people that without naming names obviously that that were the offenders of you um and kind of what those relationships were and how they came into your life Yeah um from what I remember, you know, it, it, it's hard when you're that young to know time frames. But um, I was probably about seven or eight, and it was someone close to the family. And you know, it was it wasn't just you know overtly violent. It, it wasn't like that at all. It was you know it was actually pretty typical if you listen to you know other victims. Is the slow process, this person that paid attention to me and made me feel an adult, like an adult, like they, they cared about it's, me. Yeah, it's called I the grooming think. process. Absolutely. And, obviously and people think grooming is like they're brushing your hair, and they may be doing that, but no, it's this whole yeah. grooming, priming you. Yeah. And so, so the, it was this, someone that I cared about. How long, how long, and before you continue, how long had this person been a part of your life before now in hindsight that the actual real intent with the grooming began? I I honestly couldn't say with, you know, certainty, you know, at that age. The time frame is a little different. I would probably say, I you know, I can't remember a time that this person wasn't there. Which means that this person was a very substantial person. Yeah. In your childhood life, that's how yeah. there's access for this is there. Um, yeah. With your experiences, um, can you can you tell the listeners the age span for you? 
that you were experiencing uh, the actual abuses not not the grooming process but when the which which are abuses in their own and we'll talk about that in a little bit but when when the actual offenses the real abuses the crimes what would be crimes began with you um about what was your age there uh between 7 and 8 and uh it was when it started and probably up until about Thirteen, fourteen. So, one thing that the listeners and and most people don't understand is that true pedophiles, um, they are uh, pretty much the cutoff age is eleven. Okay, um, there are other terms. There's these other words, uh, and I'm going to say I'm completely inside out and wrong, but uh, something to the effect of uh, hebophilia as well as ephebophilia, and um, those are the different age categories of how sexual offenders that have these particular OCD-type obsessions, which are paraphilias, they're fetishes, uh, but they're beyond just that. Um, so you experienced true pedophilia as well as the next stage up, which is the, the hebophilia that's like an 11 to 14 year, year, year age group. Sadly, in this country, the, the next age group, these uh, I'm not, whatever the next age group is, I'm not going to say it right. It's in the article that's posted up on the site and on the social media. That's the 15 to 19-year-old age group, and that is probably, as far as the social conscience of the world, that's the category where there seems to always be this leeway or justifications or excuses. I mean, there's even people right. out there that, you know, since the late 60s, early 70s have been literally lobbying, particularly in the U.K., for uh, lowering the age of consent. Um, and there, But even, even people that, that are not those people, uh, you know, or anything to do with being okay with any of this, there's still this weird forgiveness factor in that, that, that latter category. But you, you, you have the experience with a true pedo- pedophile. Did you, mm-hmm. and this is personal, did you also ever, you yourself, have an experience with um, somebody that wasn't a quote-unquote pedophile, but, or maybe, maybe in your mind it was, but did you ever have another experience with somebody else um, of sexual abuse where there was a, a much more scary, fearful, negative, aggressive factor to the whole thing, what is truly what is a child molester is? Um, hmm. uh, you know what, it seems to it seems to repeat itself. Like I said, it, it happened between the ages of, you know, 7 or 8 and, and 14. Um I think as as I got older, how do I want to say this? It seemed to repeat itself in other relationships um, of part of acting out, you know, because I hadn't told anybody and I and nobody knew any about anything about this. You become at fourteen. You become you can become hypersexual, promiscuous. Yes. 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 Did you do you, that's actually I'm glad you said that and I, and I don't it's not I'm not trying to cut you off but that's extremely important and that's going to be a common theme that's going to start happening here. Um with with that even even in your teen years in hindsight do you yourself Sue and you and I have not had this conversation. We had a brief conversation on the phone for the very first time the other day uh and we yes. did not go this in depth on the phone because I really want this information to be raw and uncoached. Um, when 
in hindsight, now knowing that for sure, at least around those teen years, do you remember yourself after these abuses, or at least the deeper grooming had began? Did you, can you identify earlier times in your life where maybe it wasn't promiscuity so much in your mind, where but you would have no problem flopping down on some strange man's lap, or even that man's lap, or you kind of were very touchy-feely as a young child? No. Um, it, it, yeah, that's kind of hard to explain. Um, like I said... It is very hard. I, I, I appreciate yeah. the courage in trying. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think it was it was as I as I got older, it became this confusion and, and I want and I want people to know this would there was more than one person. You know, this is what I'm saying about the repeating factor. because um, even when this person disappeared, um it seemed to and I don't know if it's because I was kind of looking for it now. You can see it now, you can see people's behavior um, differently um, it, about what they wanted, and 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 the grooming became less. Um, be, maybe because I was trying to figure out what people wanted from me, what adults wanted from me, um, and that's a very hard thing to kind of go through. It's like they want me to be a child, <laughs> but yet they still want me to act like an adult. So exactly. a, a lot of times you try to you're, you're trying to accommodate them. You're saying, you know, how how do you want me to be? So it's it's a very tough thing to go through. Well, you know, I, I Sue, what you just said, how do you want me to be? That is kind of what I was saying about the touchy feely type thing because somewhere in the grooming process, even before the actual criminal abuses happen, something happens not with a child molester, with a pedophile, okay, which are which are two different things, which I'll get into a little bit later. Um, mm-hmm. But there is something very distinct that happens with the child where mentally it shakes us up at a, at a very pivotal time in our, in our early childhood where we no longer have the correct perception and engagement and interaction. Right. Exactly. Um, Sue, I, I would love, I, I actually, I wouldn't just love, I, I'm promising you right now, if you're willing, I'm willing. Um, I'd like to do this again and uh, talk a little bit further and maybe even bring not just you and I and the next female guest on that were um, victims, but also possibly some more, including if I can find, I know there are lots of male, and I'll get into that too, um, victims as well, and and do a real show because what we're setting up here tonight, if you're listening, uh, is something that a lot of people just simply don't understand. Sue, thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate you. It took a lot of courage, and uh, I just love you right for that. You know, I love you too. And uh, yeah, I would love to do it again. There's a lot to discuss. This this can't be done in one show. So exactly, yeah, and when. Well, one of the things that I'll be doing with the show, and I'll talk about here in a, in a little bit when I do shout-outs, but I'm going to be doing some expansion of the show that is going to allow for some of these segments and some of these topics to have a little more uh, width and breadth to them. Thanks again, Sue. I really appreciate having you. Uh, I'm going to move right over to um, 
the next uh the next person that is coming on the show and um she is this is my uh my odd twist to tonight. Uh the next guest coming on the show is a woman named Kim and she's 1 year older than I am. And uh if if I like fall apart at all doing the show tonight in all of our bravery, it's going to be during all of this. Uh I just found Kim again uh with the help of people on social media about a year and a half ago. We had not seen or spoken to each other since we were 12 years old. We had we were best friends since we were since I she's a year older than me since I was somewhere in my later 3s before I turned 4 our families had met and hooked up. Kim is a wonderful individual and I'm loving to get to know her again as an adult. Um but we've talked about some things in 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 the conversations that we've had uh about some things that she experienced uh, in her childhood that were parallel to mine and although there were other people in in her life in those time frames as well as after uh and and again we'll talk about the difference between a pedophile and a child molester and how that is important um unfortunately uh one of the pedophiles at least one of the pedophiles in her life were her abusers as a direct relation to our friendship and the access that they had because it was my family members and it was my own abusers. And so <laughs> I really appreciate that out of the blue she's willing to just step out there and talk about this with all of you. Um, I, I love her to death and I'm only getting to re-know her again now, but Kim, are you with me? Yeah, yes, I'm here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being so brave to come on. And you, our story is kind of unique because of our separation and parting and re-meeting, and all of a sudden we're talking about these things all these years later. Um, before we kind of get into the nitty-gritty, uh, can you just tell the listeners a little bit about you now, who you are now? I do want to tell the listeners that you are a parent. Uh, Sue did not have children. You do have children and grandchildren. Um, which is, again, these varying differences of, of where we are now. So if you can tell the listener a little bit about you, Kim. Okay. Thank you, Sherry. Um, I am a mom to three wonderful kids, and I have a grandbaby as well that just just turned three, and a wonderful husband that I've been married to for 25 years. And um, I've worked with kids all my life. It's just been my heart. And... Um, you know, I think Sherry, well, I don't know what she shared, all of it, but um, when we connected again, I just immediately felt this kinship, and I knew that um, God has probably placed her in my life for a reason, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> to grow me, because all of this is so new to me, and even getting on the phone here and talking is um, something I've never done. I've never shared with a lot of people in my family all of my abuse that has happened, and um, definitely not with my kids. They grew up very differently than I did, and I was very, very protective, over overly protective. They will tell you. Well, amazing, Kim, so. I know I, I want to share with the listeners something that I think um, c- 
kind of reinforces what you just said because I, I think it's important for them to still understand it's really a psychological mindset that's still at play. And whereas I've been talking about this for a long time, Sue hasn't been talking about it like I have as long, and you are absolutely new to it, yet you're the one that's been working with children all this time, trying to make up for the fact, kind of, that you're not talking about it, I think, maybe psychologically. However, last night when we were having uh, a pre-interview, because uh, we talked because we have this personal uh, attachment to this issue, uh, unfortunately, and I still apologize that that is the case, um, mm-hmm. but... You know, you were actually interrupted during your phone call by one of your children that's still um, a minor. And uh, it was a a weird situation for you and and I, (laughs) and not knowing how to exactly, like, finish our conversation. Um, But that speaks to the psychological aspect of it. Kim, when um, you and I were kids, I I mean, there's no question, even though we are only now getting to know each other as adults, uh, as late adults, uh, you and I were the best friends in the world for uh, the predominance of our entire early childhood. And if there were three homes that we were in, uh, and it was either my home, your home, or one of my family members' home, um, and... uh, because they were all friends. And I, I want to say to the listeners, again, we're going to say things that are kind of hard or harsh or you're not accustomed to, but you do have to realize that, that I'm 47. I believe Kim is 48. She's a year older than I am. And um, our families uh, and, and these things that happened to us, and it's the same time frame for Sue, who was just on, were really in this explosion of the sexual revolution. There was a lot of... Um, people, you know, that's when we have Studio 54, you know, and it was just swinging and all these alternative sexual lifestyles. It was like everybody was free suddenly to not just talk about them or maybe touch and explore certain things, but really live them out. And I think that that is uh, part of how the explosion now due to technology that's happened. Kim, when you and I were kids, uh, we're, we're not naming names here because, well, first and foremost, most of the people are gone. But even so, it's not about that because we've lived with shame in some way or another all our lives. So um, when we were kids, uh, I would like you to delicately, for the listeners, again, PG-13, to explain kind of how uh, my family entered into your life in this very negative way. Well, um, I've always kind of explained my early childhood, especially as kind of being in a hippie, free love type atmosphere. I mean, that's what I felt and knew as a child, and I didn't know any different. That was just the way it was, and um, that resulted, of course, as you know, and um, into situations that weren't ideal, and right. for children that were perfectly ideal for pedophiles and child molesters. And, um, you know, something else that I, you and I didn't really talk a whole lot about last night, but I was thinking about was um, the drugs as well that were going on. And, and there were times That's that you and I were talking very about relevant. Yes. That, um, that we don't remember certain things. And I'm thinking, gosh, <laughs> there was obviously so many drugs going on. <laughs> um you know, 
I was just so so aware, and I wanted to change. And um, you know, it's it's hard to go into details. I I shared some things with, with Sherry too, but um, you know, just the fact that we didn't feel protected, and um, you know, there was that thing that free love going on, and and everybody was a part of it, and. Um, you know, it's hard to to think now and me working with children for all these years in major roles um, of the, the pain and suffering that some of these kids are going through. And if there's a way, as um, I've been introduced to just recently through Sherry, and I'm excited to learn more about it all, um, to, to possibly prevent some of that. I mean, I just... I, I don't know that you know, I really even answered the question, Sherry. <laughs> well, no, you did, and I'm glad that you said exactly what you said because I think that, um, you know, and, and I have to say to the listeners, uh, whether it's live or the archive, uh, Kim and I have just literally had a brief two conversations. One happened when I first connected her with her again about a year and a half ago, and if you want to know how that happened, you can go to SherrySpeak.com and just put Kimberly in the search and you'll you'll find it because it was really cool. I found her in two hours thanks to a lot of people. <laughs> um, but the, um, you know, the thing is, is that Kim and I, we went through these things with the same people at the same times and a lot of the things we didn't even realize were happening with each other because that's also part of the grooming and the separation and the isolation that happens. Now, you touched on something um, and, and 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 with what you just said, and also this ensued as well about the the longevity of these familial and familial friend relations, as well as the drugs. And and I really I hadn't addressed that in the things that I wrote this week, but that's extremely relevant. Uh, obviously, drugs uh, create bad judgment, <laughs> um, but on top of that, uh, you know, there are. Uh, offenders that have actually drugged children. And with the amount of drugs that were passed around in our households growing up and every other household we were subjected to, I mean, there's a very real possibility that at some point during something that that we might have been drugged or and other children, you know, out there. Um, and, and it could be something as simple as, a, you know, a, a cannabis tea, you know, uh, or blowing weed in our faces because weed was certainly, I mean, I know, Kim, I know you were just like me. Our parents were potheads, and we were the ones that hid the tray, the pot tray, when someone knocked on the door. You know, we hid everything for our parents, and that's the truth. But, Kim, can you um, can you kind of, and, and I'll elaborate on this a little bit later in the show, but can you kind of briefly explain to the listener the difference, because you've experienced both, as I have, at not only very young childhood, but throughout different times in your in your 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 childhood in its expansion, the difference between how how a pedophile is with you, a pedophile that's acting out, not one that has never offended, because there are plenty out there that have never offended, uh, and and how a child molester and a rapist is. Well, yeah. It it didn't really occur to me until probably even just a few years ago. I mean, I, I, the healing process is forever, um, as Sue has touched on as well. But, um, you know, the fact that I can 
forgive the child molesters. I think, um, and there were several of them, um, and I have forgiven them completely. And um, is is a testament I feel to God and um, how He has worked in my life and and how I can do that and and still even have relationships with relatives in the family that have um, abused me. But um, you know the the sexual abusers or, or rapists, um, you know, it's hard to to know how I would react to me face-to-face with them because I don't have a relationship with them. I never did and um, don't really want to <laughs> either. But, <laughs> right, um, right. It was the loving, um, grooming, being there for you, but um, being confused, you um, touched on as well about how my role is in the family and what I'm supposed to be doing or what, you know, in this situation. Right. Um, and the fact that I, I felt loved in my family, I just know that there were a lot of bad choices that were made, a lot. Um, right. And, but I didn't feel that at all. I felt um, controlled and dominated when I was raped as an older teen. Right, and that was a different feeling than with the grooming and the actual sexual abuse from the pedophile. Absolutely. And, Kim, before before I move on to the next uh, segments of the show, and again, uh, just like I said to Sue, uh, if you're up for it, I'm up for it, Sue's up for it, I would actually like to kind of do a round table and uh you know and 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 bring more people that are like us uh, or not not like us like minded I mean like us that have experienced these things uh you know together but can you explain to the listener and again I'm going to go into this a little bit deeper uh providing I have time later but can you explain when we're talking about the difference between a pedophile, because this is somebody that has been grooming you, this is somebody close in your life, and and let's make this clear with the next guest coming up for the grill, uh, our forensic expert, uh, Frederick, the child pornography out there, more uh, nearly 60% of, of it that's going on, uh, the proliferation of it is from pedophiles. It's all pre prepubescent the the rest of it is in these varying degrees um this is a real problem and we'll talk about the biological and psychological things but kim can you talk about the emotional thing because you i know for sure you and i both because we discussed this last night we have it's not even the forgiveness thing because especially when we have a spiritual base we we learn about forgiveness in general for our own health there is you have been able just like i had been able to actually have some sorts of actual relationships with some of these people as adults. Right. Yeah, and I told Sherry last night, sometimes I just wonder how I do that, (laughs) too. I mean, (laughs) just being honest and real. It's like um, I know that I've forgiven that person, and, um, and they're, you know, one of them is a very big part of my life, and um, I have even led that person to the Lord. So, um, you know, I just feel that it's, in my situation, it's totally God, and I just pray that, 
you know, people who are in that situation can um, find and understand, you know, whatever it is in their life that they need to um, to be able to start to heal because you can't say be healed because it's it's not. You're not ever going to be healed. Um, it's just a process that you go through for the rest of your life. And, and my hope and prayer as well is that um, I can give kids this foundation that um, they know, and that's, again, coming from my faith, that they know that somebody loves them and cares for them. And even if we never see them again um, after they leave our Sunday school class or whatever, that um, that they felt loved and, and can eventually start to heal as well if, if they are already in the midst of something that's going on like that because that was my situation. And um, and so that's how I am feeling that I'm able to from that. Right. Well, Kim, I, I invite you to come back on the show, and um, I, I really I applaud you. I, I'm very grateful, and again, my apologies for what my family did to you, um, and I uh, I want to continue uh, learning more about you. I've, I'm really enjoying that. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Anytime, anytime, my friend. All right. Um, on that note, I am going to jump right over to the grill guest. Uh, and I might make up some time for some things that we missed. I'll get to Liar of the Week. It normally comes before the grill. But uh, I want to get right into the, the grill guest here. Um, his name is Frederick Lane. And Frederick Lane is a former attorney. He has... Uh, six or eight books. I'm not looking at my notes right now. I'm running two computers at the moment. Um, and, uh, and I'll let him tell you. <laughs> Anyways, but he, the reason I have him on the show is, well, first of all, his books do relate to the show and stuff. Um, and even his knowledge as an attorney relates to the show. But he is a computer uh, cybercrime forensic expert. And um, he deals a lot uh, as as an expert and a lecturer with regards to child pornography, and we're going to talk about that term hopefully because uh, when when I bring him on here in just a second. But um, Frederick, as I said, Mark Sayed, a previous guest, had uh, introduced me to Frederick just a couple days ago, and I've had a lot of conversations with him, and it was very refreshing to find somebody kind of in, a, in this position of authority and, and knowledge that understood what I was trying to say and understood what I was trying to accomplish specifically uh, with the show and the things that I do on this issue going forward. Um, on that note, Frederick, are you with me here? I am, in fact, Cherry. How are you? I am good. Thank you so much. Frederick, you, you know, you you have done a lot. I mean, you've been, well, I mean, I can sit here and talk about you being on CNN, NBC, ABC, CBS, BBC, <laughs> MSNBC, you know, and then all the periodicals and all that. But honestly, well, my not, listeners, I think. let's not forget John Stewart. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. My listeners, you know, I warned you about my crowd. Uh, my listeners probably would just think that's the coolest thing ever. You've been on the John Stewart show. I watched that interview the other day and, and I was sitting there just giggling like crazy because we're talking about such a very serious uh, topic oh, yeah. and yeah. you know and it's it's hard and, and I've laughed a little bit along the way with you know in my opening and with Sue and with Kim as I'm sure you heard but yeah. and I'm going to yeah. laugh with you because we have to be healthy we have to move forward we have to find solution so real quickly can you tell the listeners kind of a little bit about who you are the import of what you do and then we'll kind of get into the issue sure um, you know, 
first of all, Sherry, I don't think I could really, I, I don't think I could really start without complimenting Kim and Sue, and and honestly yourself, for having the courage and the fortitude to talk about these issues frankly and openly. It makes such a huge difference, and I, I you know, I'm simply awed by the courage that that takes. I really, really am impressed. So. It is an honor for me to join you. It really is. I, I, I am deeply respectful of what you guys are doing. Let me give you a little oh, bit of you. a background. Oh, you're most welcome. I, I wrote a book in 2000 called Obscene Profits, which was about the rise of the online, online adult industry. I had a computer I want background. that book so bad. i got to get it this week. <laughs> I, if, if, I, if I get one or two extra, can I send them to you to sign and I can give them away to some listeners? I would totally be honored. That'd be great. I, so anyway, I am because, fascinated. Go ahead. Great. Well, because of that book, I started to get a lot of phone calls from attorneys who were dealing with obscenity online. And a lot of that obscenity, as you can imagine, uh, constituted child pornography. So over the course of the last 16 or 17 years, I've developed an expertise in computer forensics with a fairly strong concentration in the um, in the spread of child pornography. And the vast bulk of my work, honestly, has been involved in helping attorneys understand what's going on online. And then secondly, helping defendants understand why it is that the police have successfully nailed them for violating the law in various ways. So, right. you know, I probably have dealt with 100, 150 cases over the last you know 15 years, and I think all but three of them have pled out because once you get into the technical aspects of what law enforcement has done, there's absolutely no question that what the defendants were doing was actually illegal. And there's a wide range of illegality that I've dealt with from people who are merely browsing to people who are taking uh, voyeuristic photos of their stepdaughter to people who are actually either assaulting kids or pre-assaulting. But, you know, I think the the important takeaway from this is that if law enforcement is identifying a specific individual, the overwhelming odds are that they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing. That that is that's absolutely true. Um, you said many things in that short span of time that I want to I want to at least nail one of them with you mm-hmm. right now while you're here. Sure. And and that sure. is um, when we're talking about uh, I was I came across well I've come across a lot of things since I started introducing this topic to my readers um, yeah. and my social media followers and I'm sure you saw some of it out there but there were multiple threads all over the place <laughs> and um, I was I was a little a busy amazed. Day, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, I was a little amazed, however, at what seemed to be like this overriding uh, concept. But then again, today I saw something uh, a couple hours before the show that like spun me like, okay, well maybe I can maybe understand why they're, why they're thinking some of this stuff. So here, here's the deal, Frederick. Um, yeah. We know we know that child pornography. I'm I'm going to say child pornography right now simply because that is the term that everybody knows. But I want to correct something here. The the real term here, and this is important, so let me get on the soapbox for a minute. I, I didn't get to say this earlier, and I meant to. It should be 
child sexual abuse imagery because what happens is it's a whitewashed term, child pornography. We hear the pornography. The child kind becomes secondary over all these decades and years. And so we're thinking about it like porn. And whereas, and I'm sorry, listeners, yes, there are predominantly men uh, that that do this, that, that are out there doing uh, you know, getting their sexual gratification, and you know what that means to this imagery, which is photo- photography and video now, and with the with all the technology of the internet. Okay, what we have going on here is such a whitewashed term of child pornography. When child sexual abuse imagery is what we really need to be thinking, whether that's what we're saying, that's how we need to be thinking, because the fact of the matter is, these are crime scene photos. This is actual documentation <laughs> that any judge, any inter would love to have in any other kind of sexual abuse or rape case of an adult, sure. but they don't have Sherry, that. Sherry, you're, you're absolutely right. I, Sorry, I, I went on a rant. <laughs> no, 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 that's totally right. I will tell you personally that having dealt with attorneys and public defenders and investigators from law enforcement, I, I would say just as, as a superficial thing, people who use the term child pornography have not lost sight of the fact that it is, in fact, a documentation of abuse. But that being said, I think that your recasting of the concept is valuable because you are absolutely right. None of the images that we're talking about, particularly given the fact that the vast majority of them are below the age of, of 12 or 11, right. you know, kind of prepubescent, there is no way that an individual can consent to that photo being taken. It is simply in categorically wrong and so you are completely correct that it is in fact a crime scene photo and it needs to be treated that way isn't that isn't that exactly why child pornography i mean take away all the other stigma about it okay but isn't that exactly why child pornography is a crime it's crime scene photos so somebody actually committed the crime that's within these images or these videos right right the the catch on that, though, and I think that this is a, a big problem, and you know from our conversations that we've had a lot of discussion about this, is that there's a distinction between the adult predator of children, which is absolutely a crime scene, and teens taking photos of each other or taking photos of themselves. And I think that one of the concerns I have about all of this is that we have tended – well, not everybody – but some states have tended to lump together teenagers who are hormonally driven and in a romantic relationship with their boyfriends or girlfriends, and that they share photos. That's a 19-year-old group I was talking about, yeah. Well, actually, I'm talking about 17 because that's technically child pornography. I mean, like the North Carolina case, 19-year-olds mm-hmm. are adults. That's a different thing. But, but if you've got a 17-year-old who's being prosecuted for child pornography, I think that's actually wrong. I don't think that's what the law was intended to prevent. And so we need to adjust our laws to reflect the reality that kids are now taking these photos and we never anticipated that they would do so. No, we never anticipated that for many reasons, and one of which is we didn't anticipate exactly what technology was going to put in our hands. Exactly right. Exactly. But on that note, I want to make sure the listeners understand the statistics, recent current statistics show that children as young as 11 years old are commonly sexting 
now. Mm-hmm. And so, Honestly, yes. it's as low as 7 or 8, Sherry. It's below that it's, now. Oh, my gosh, it's crazy. But where does yeah. that behavior come from? That's part of a societal thing. There's a, lots of abuses that are still so swept under the rug, yep. Frederick. I mean, yep. can That's I can I ask you... Um, I, I, I'm like changing my whole format of the show and dropping out other segments because I'm just fascinated. <laughs> that I, I really am, and I don't normally do this. I'm very, very, I'm like very rigid on my format, but um, sure. I, I, this is so important to me, Frederick. And I think that, and you and I haven't really like deeply discussed this. I like just asked you a couple brief questions in our passings and trying to, sure. you know, coordinate everything. But can you? From your perspective of what you do, and yes, I want to make sure the listeners know that not Sue, not Kim, nor myself, nor you, no one is excusing pedophilic behaviors and actions. But, Frederick, can you please explain to the listener, okay, when we're talking about true pedophilia, 11 and under, the prepubescent stuff, the bulk of the child pornography that you deal with, and that people like myself and Kim and Sue have dealt with. Can you please explain to the listener why it is so important for them to understand, for everybody to understand so that we can help fix the problem, the difference in how a pedophile acts towards their victim and a child molester? Sure, absolutely, because the there's well honestly sherry there's a there's a very complicated spectrum that you're alluding to okay there's right. the, you need to understand that the internet has dramatically changed how all of this works so nowadays if someone has a proclivity towards pedophilia which is under 11 or hebophilia which is you know kind of middle school or epo You'll have to pronounce it for me. Um, but the, the, <laughs> I don't know if the I can. <laughs> the, the teenager group, okay? So, you know, the teenager group, honestly, is barely a fetish at this point because it is so common online. But right. what, you're, what you're alluding to is the possibility and the very reality that there are many, many people who browse the Internet for these images, and that is all they do. They look at these images, they may uh, fantasize, they may masturbate, whatever is associated with that, you know, whatever sexual satisfaction it gives them. The debate is over whether or not it leads to any kind of physical interaction with children. And I've dealt a lot with law enforcement officers, folks who work with the uh, Internet Crimes Against Children task forces around the country, you know, ICAC, there's 50 of them in each of the states, there are a lot of people NCACP, who work for those. NCACP, oh yeah, all of them. Right, exactly, NCMEC, all the rest of that. There are a lot of organizations in which the members believe that if you fantasize about children, you will inevitably contact them and assault them. And I really actually don't think that is necessarily true. Let us be absolutely clear, as you just said, there is no excuse for contributing to the global market in what are sexual abuse images that is in fact a crime and it is wrong but there is a there is a distinction between viewing those images and actually assaulting children and i think that we need to focus number one on the people who take the images to begin with and then secondly the folks who physically assault children those are the people on whom law enforcement should concentrate well, those are the people that are taking the images to begin with. Um, and, exactly you know, right, I, right. 
And they're yeah. causing the harm. Right. I agree with that. Well, they are. And, you know, if you don't mind wrapping up the show with me, I would love to keep you on. I don't know if, I, sure. if I've, Please. like, kind of overstepped my time. Uh, but do a little engagement here. Thank you very much, Frederick. Um, I, wa- I want to make sure the listeners hear something. And this is this is where I'm going to not not be overly graphic. But I think they need to hear this. And that's that, well, first of all, as I said early on in the show, we disassociate kind of these mental images from the reality when we say child pornography. We we, we think, okay, it's sex, it's pornography, and, yeah, it's children because we never want to put sex and children together in the same sentence. And we have this great disgust and, 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 and revileness and all of that. And I don't even know if that's a word, but, uh, you know, but the reality Revul- is, is... Revulsion is what you're looking Revulsion, for. yes. Thank you. I mean, you never know what's going to come out of my mouth, Frederick. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the reality is, is that, you know, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, the NCMEC, um, you know, if we just kind of look at some data, because we haven't, because of technology, we're able to have this data, so this is all new and i and this is right. going to sound far off for a minute but you'll understand what i'm saying all of you listening will understand what i'm saying it was 10 to 15 years ago that we thought everything we learned in elementary school that we had this one little singular solar system was all we had but technology has now proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that there are many many you know infinity solar systems out there and the same thing with this issue technology has allowed us to be able to see snapshots so when we're talking about um, these differences uh, in, in sex offenders, all sex offenders, well, not all sex offenders, but there's a huge portion of sex offenders that we now have data, scientific medical data, visual imaging. There is something going on in their brains, not only with the gray matter and the white matter and the different lobes, the temporal lobe, the frontal lobe. There is actual a, a physiology thing there, too. It is not known whether that is something that is specifically from birth or if there was some sort of damage. The frontal lobe is something that is often damaged. Um, But it does absolutely adhere to these very specific things with judgment control, with interactions, with sexual behavior, and and the filtering of all of that. I... Can, I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say, and this is, the, I, I don't, I haven't seen any scientific thing that says this, and I'm not saying that this is true, but my own experiences and knowing the knowledge base there, I would be very comfortable in saying to everybody right now that we may very well find, even as soon as six months from now, a year from now, three years from now, that whatever is going on in the actual brains of people with many different uh mental what we call mental illnesses or psychiatric disorders are actual physiological things we say mental health but is not the brain still part of the physical the brain runs the entire physical so frederick uh anything last to say on that you want to plug a link for any of your books or you know <laughs> fredericklane.com <laughs> sherry you're incredibly gracious yes absolutely if your listeners are interested in the work I do, they can go to fredericklane.com. The two specific things I'd recommend would be Cyber Traps for the Young, which is one of the books I wrote recently, or the Cyber Traps blog, which is a free resource on my website. It's a good way to keep on top of these issues. I write about child pornography. I write about computer forensics. It's a great resource for people. 
you have been a great resource for people tonight. Thank you so much, very, very much, Frederick Lane. And thank you, Mark Zade, for connecting us. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, Sue. I hope to do this again. We have a lot to talk about. I want to tell everybody real quick, please hit up challengingtherhetoric.news. Find find the show on Twitter, at CTR News Feed, and on Facebook.com forward slash challengingtherhetoric.news. Always on Blog Talk Radio, Blog Talk Radio forward slash Challenging the Rhetoric with Sherry Roberts. That's C-H-E-R-I, and you all know how to say Roberts, even if I don't know how to say say. <laughs> Activist tip for tonight. <laughs> to, do with, to do with pedophilia, if you got a child and you got bumper stickers from school that identify where your child goes to school, don't put them on your car. You're just leading every pedophile, every sex offender for children right to your child's school door. I hope you all have a good week. I will be back with you here next Wednesday, and we'll be talking about something pretty cool, I hope, or maybe I'll assure you. Have a great week. Thanks for joining me. Share, share, share the downloads. This was an important show. 